welcome to all of you there in the modern service. It's so good to have you with us for the preaching of the word. If you're one of our guests this morning, we have two services going on at the same time, and we join together via video for the preaching of the word. So we welcome the body together this second hour, and while we're all together now, and maybe Scott mentioned it over there in the modern service for you here in the worship center, I failed to mention on September 25th is our Life Transformation Day, and so in your bulletin, uh, you'll take note of this card right here, and really what we want to do is feature baptisms on that particular day. Life transformation is one of our seven values, and so we want to celebrate that. We cultivate uh, we celebrate what we cultivate and vice versa, and we want to see life transformation on display through the waters of baptism. So here's the thing. For some of you, you need to take this home and consider, have I ever been biblically baptized before? Have I ever been baptized by immersion after following Jesus? And so throughout the next few weeks, we're going to be highlighting this, but take this card with you, keep it in front of you. And when we gather together on September 25 for one service, it's going to be a great, great day. So I just wanted to mention that as well. You know, in the video, the introduction that we both have seen, uh, I mentioned school and the transition this week as you head back to school. And many families have been impacted directly by that, some of you indirectly by that, the traffic patterns. If you don't have kids in school, maybe you notice it took a little bit longer to turn left into the grocery store. Or maybe the line at the grocery store was a little bit longer, particularly at Target and Walmart and all these places, school supplies. It might have affected you indirectly. But here was the beautiful thing, was to see the pictures of you students to see the pictures of you kids as you were dressed in your, in your best as you have those new outfits on and you look clean, you showered on that particular morning maybe, you had your backpacks on, you had your pictures of your brother and sister and I know that was kind of hard to hug your brother and your sister but you had your brother and sister wrapped around you and mom and dad maybe there. It makes mom and dad feel really good to take these pictures, right? So I saw it all over social media. I got to see where you were going and how proud you moms were and how proud you dads were and it was a great, great start to the year. But here's what I did. I took a camera around my house and I took a picture as well but there's just something about this picture that is a little bit different than the picture that I took as I was sneaking around wanting to find my kids the first day of school, make sure they were okay, your spirit's good, you're ready to go, you're fearful, you're afraid, you take courage. And so here's a, as I'm walking around my house, here's the picture that I took of our kids. Wait a second, that's not the picture of our, that's not our kids. That's, that's Michael Phelps. I love that picture. We love the Olympics. We're crazy about the Olympics, but I, I had to get that in there somewhere. And so it is good to be back at school. It is good for the families to be on, on the move here. But here's reality. Here, here's really what I wanted to say in that intro, is that all of us, regardless of whether you're back in school, all of us have fears. And as you move from one season to the next, you have fears. For instance, some of you have the fear of raising kids. You see how hard it is. You see how difficult it is. Maybe you've run into problems with your kids, and so there's a great fear when it comes to parenting. Some of you have received some bad news when it comes to your health. 
thinking of our dear brother Ron Phelps. He sits right over here on the left-hand side in the worship center here during our second hour. He and Alicia are down in North Carolina. And, and when we gathered for one of our committee member meetings a couple of weeks ago, Ron Phelps had heard on that day, the cancer is back. How are you going to respond to that? It's fearful when you get the news or when you transition in your job. Maybe you've been promoted to a new position. Maybe you're taking a new spot. They've elevated you. And the reality is you don't know if you can do it or not. And all the pressure is on you to perform and all the pressure is on you to succeed and you're fearful, or, or maybe it's the other way. Maybe some of you have lost your job, or, or, or maybe some of you have struggled in, with, with your finances, and so every day when you wake up, it's on your heart and it's on your mind. I, I need to find that security. I need to find that job. I need to find that employment for my family. Some of you are, are moving closer to retirement age, and so you're beginning to wonder, how long do I have to work, and will there be enough for us to have a place that we can kind of set aside and, and retire? Some of you, your marriages, there's great fear in your home because the drive home from work or as you're a spouse, you're waiting for that husband to come back and there's just fear there because there's been tension and there's been conflict and you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen next. And so you're afraid. We, we could go on and on with the examples. I'm just trying to, to bring it down to where we are and what we fear on a regular basis. You know what it is. You know what's kind of captured your heart and what's captured your mind. And here's what happens when we are afraid, when we're moved from one position to the next, when we're moved from one place or responsibility or, or relationship or season of life, when we move from one to another, what happens is we become uncomfortable and, and we become less secure and we no longer have the control that we used to have. And so instantly we crave those things. And if we don't get them, we continue to, to live and to operate in fear. And for some of you, what that means is this, that on one hand, you become paralyzed by the fear. You, you have a pattern of indecision and doubt that just locks you down. And you can't move because you're so afraid. For some of you, you go in hyperdrive. And you begin making decisions and it's rash and it's erratic. And you begin doing things that you normally wouldn't do because you're afraid. And so either we are in unhealthy patterns of indecision and doubt or we are in unhealthy and unwise decision-making patterns. Either way, fear has a great effect on our lives and how we live daily. And we come to a book this morning, which is a tremendous book, and I hope you'll come back every single week. If you're one of our guests, we're, we're going to walk through this book over the next few weeks together. And really, I, I set that stage up, the first sermon, not only for today, but for this entire book to see how that God wants to move us, not only through the circumstances that we might face, but he wants to make us more and more like his son. Here's what God is interested in. He is interested in us moving from a place of being fearful to a place of fearlessness because he is faithful to us. 
And in his faithfulness, listen, in his faithfulness, he does not want to leave you where you are. He asks you to move. He brings you to a new spot, not only to move you through circumstances, but to make you more and more like his son. And the more you are like his son, the more that you can influence the lives of those around you. The more Taylor's First Baptist Church, every single one of you, every face that I see, this morning. The more you become like his son, the more this body becomes like his son and reflects Jesus, and the more we can carry out the mission of the church. Do you see why being fearful or fearless because God is faithful, do you see why it's so important to your life and to to your family and to your church and to the mission of the body and to God's great glory? So this is why this book is so important. And God comes to this man named Joshua. Let me give you just a little taste of what's happening here. God comes to this man named Joshua at a pivotal time in the story of the scriptures because Joshua is, it's the sixth book in the Bible and so we've just come off the first five books which are known as the Pentateuch or the Law. The, the books that Moses had written, and these books are important because it traces the history all the way from the Garden of Eden, all the way through Father Abraham, and God came to Father Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and you're going to move into a land, and from that land, Abraham... The nations of the world, the people of the world, all throughout the history of the world will be blessed through you. So Abraham and Isaac, who was the promised son, and then Jacob and Joseph, the patriarchs, the founding fathers, they live. And then after Joseph, the nation of Israel goes into captivity in Egypt for 400 years, and they're there until little baby Moses in the bulrushes, he grows up. He leaves Egypt, he goes to the backside of the desert, he comes back and he leads the nation out of Egypt and out of slavery. And they're about to go into the promised land, but then they're stuck. They're stuck because of their sin. They're stuck because of their rebellion against God. And God says, instead of moving into the promised land, you're going to wander for 40 years because I can't abide by your rebellion. I, I have, I'm a holy God. I have to speak to your sin. And I will. And a whole generation missed out on moving into the promised land because of their sin. But now the 40 years is up. And here they are across the Jordan River. Jericho is on the other side. The whole land's in front of him. And this man named Joshua is waiting, knowing that Moses has tapped him on the shoulder and said, you're it. God has come to him earlier and said, you're the leader. Joshua's sitting there waiting, thinking of the hundreds of thousands, if not over a million, if not a million and a half people That he's got to move across the river into a land where there are enemies, there are fortified cities, 
And all of these nomadic people, we've just been wandering around in the wilderness. You mean to tell me that we're going in there and taking that land so that the story of God begun all the way back in Abraham can go through me? How would you like to be Joshua this morning? I love the story of Dwight Eisenhower who was another general who was across the sea, across the channel, English Channel. And he was about to send thousands upon thousands of American troops and allied troops across the English Channel in order to land there in France so that then they could go into France and into Europe and liberate a continent. And here is what Eisenhower knew as he commanded the entire allied forces. This is, this is what he understood, that men were going to die that day. Because there's no way that this is going to come off to the point where men aren't going to die. And he has to make a move, and, and this was the only move available to him. And so he sends these men over knowing that on the cliffs above the beaches there, as these men are coming in, you've seen the footage, you've seen the, you, you've seen the, the video of these men, and the ramps come down, and those men start wading through the water, and some of them don't even make it out of the boat. They're shot down. And Eisenhower knew this, and he sent one letter to the troops on the eve of them going and giving their lives and trying to take France. He sent one letter of great encouragement and great support to them saying, you can do this. I believe in you. We are going to be victorious. But there was a second letter that Eisenhower wrote. It was a note. And he kept the note in his wallet in case he needed it. And the note said, in essence, this. If this mission fails, it's because of me. That's incredibly brave, incredibly responsible. But there was that seed of worry and anxiety and fear in this general, as brave as he was. And I bet it was in Joshua's mind, there was this the seed of worry and anxiety and doubt as brave as he was because God's going to tell him three times, you need to be strong. For some of you, you carry around a note in your wallet or in your purse or in your mind that says, I've failed in the past. I'm going to fail again. It's because of me. And God wants to speak to you this morning. God wants to encounter you this morning. And here is the word of God this morning to this general and to us who fear so many things. Here is what he says. Read with me. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read through verses 6 and then we'll work our way through the end of the chapter this morning. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, Joshua, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So, Joshua, here's the first time we see it. Be strong and courageous. Why? For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Here's thought number one this morning, and it is this, that God has been working in your past to prepare you for the challenge of today. Don't lose sight of this, that God has been working in your past in order to bring you and prepare you for the challenge of today. In verse 6, if I could, I would circle that word you because here's what God is saying. Joshua, be strong, son. Be strong and courageous for you will bring this people across. I would circle that word you, and if I could, I would take my pen and I would just let, take two lines and just move them out over verses one through five because this is what God is saying to Joshua in those first five verses. You, Joshua, because of everything in the past, it is getting you ready to meet the challenge of today. You, Joshua, are the one that was with Moses. He was his assistant. Did you know that? You were with him, and as I was with Moses, verse 5, I will be with you. But Joshua, Moses is dead now. It's time for you to step forward. You've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. And as you saw me working in Moses' life, as you saw me working among the people, so I will work among you and the people again. The past shows you that I've been active and present and prepares you for the challenge of today. Moses was, uh, had this assistant, Joshua, and we believe that uh, Mo, uh, Joshua was probably 90 years old at the beginning of this book. He dies when he's 110. We think it took about 20 years to work its way through this book. So he's 90, so 40 years in the wilderness, move back 40 years, okay? So he's probably somewhere in his 40s, early 50s, maybe, when he leaves Egypt. So look at all Joshua has seen in the past. Here's the key word, remember. Remember the past. He sees God send down the plagues and free them from Egypt in a powerful way. He, he saw the people come out facing the Red Sea and they look behind him and here comes Pharaoh. They look ahead of him. There's the sea. There's nowhere to go. What are we going to do? They saw Moses crying out to God. The sea parts and here they go. He gets across the sea. And they face an enemy. This is the first time we see Joshua's name in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 17. And, and Moses looks at Joshua and says, you go fight. And I'm going to raise my arms. And every time Moses' arms would come down, Joshua and the men that he had selected to fight, they would lose. Every time his arms would go up, Aaron and Hur get on either side. His arms go up and Joshua and the men that he has chosen begins to win. And when they've wiped out this enemy that they face once they cross the Red Sea, God says this. I love this. He says, Moses, write this down for the ears of Joshua so that he might know what I will do to the Amalekites, what I will do to your enemies. I think God is preparing Joshua in the past to, to, make, to get him ready for the challenge of today. Joshua goes up 
Think of this. Talk about being a part of all the significant events of the life uh, of Moses in Israel. Moses comes down from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 24, and he has the ten and God says, I want you to go get Aaron and the priests and the elders, and I want you to come back up the mountain and meet with me so that you can get remainder of the law. So Moses turns around, he goes back up the mountain, and he looks at his brother Aaron and the priests. He says, you stay here. Elders, you stay here. Joshua, come with me. And Joshua goes up to the top of the mountain. Who knows what he saw? Who knows what he heard up there? Joshua's the one that comes down the mountain and they see the nation of Israel just absolutely in rebellion against God. And it's Joshua, I never knew this until this week, Joshua says to Moses, Moses, look, look at what they've done. Exodus chapter 33 says that when Moses would go into the tabernacle, he would see God face to face. The glory of God was there. The people would see the glory of God and they'd be amazed. And here is Joshua, it says at the end of that chapter, here is Joshua there staying in the tabernacle. It's Joshua that moves with Caleb into the promised land and comes out and says, we can do it guys. Let's go. We can do it. And the other 10 are like, no, we can't do it. And it's Joshua's broken heart that says, God, must we wait here 40 years? This guy's everywhere. Every significant event in the life of Israel and Moses, God is getting him ready. He's everywhere. It's like the movie Forrest Gump. You ever see Forrest Gump? Every significant event in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was Forrest, remember? He's, he's within camera view or he's front and center. Joshua's everywhere, but here's why. Here's why. Because God says there's a challenge you need to meet, Joshua. Verse 6, you will cause this people to go over. And he says, Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. Don't be cowardly. Don't be fearful. Because Joshua, don't you see, I was in the past with Moses and with the people. And I haven't abandoned the people and I haven't abandoned you. So why are you afraid? Be strong and courageous. Here's the second thing. Verse 7. It says this. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success. Wherever you go. Verse 8. Keep reading. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So if I'm outlining these two verses, here is what I see God telling Joshua. Joshua, second time, be strong and courageous. The first time, because I've been working in the past to get you prepared for the challenge of today. The second time, because Joshua, I have given you a guide to walk wisely until the finish. Verse 7, if I'm outlining it, here's what it says. I've given you the law, obey it, and you'll find success. Verse 8. Joshua, I want you to meditate on it. I want you to say it. That's what the word meditate means. It means literally to mutter. Mutter the law. Say the law. They had to do it so that people could hear and they could learn. 
but say the law so it stays close to your mouth and to your mind and to your heart. Say the law, repeat the law that I've given you so that you might obey it and find success. Now here's what we need to define is success. Success in your mind or success in the church's mind, evangelical church in America's mind, success is what? Something similar to the American dream maybe? Something similar to keeping us comfortable and keeping us happy and everything going well and and planning for retirement well and traveling well and all those things. If we listen to the word of God, if we obey the word of God, then everything will turn out okay. But that's not what Joshua 1, 7 and 8 is saying. Here's what it's saying. That if you take the word, if you take what God has revealed about himself and about how we're to live with one another and about how we're to, to worship God and about what God has called us to be, to be like his son, if we, if we take the word and we obey it, we don't turn to the left, we don't turn to the right, we stay in the path. It's almost as if the word of God is leading the way and, and we're not so consumed about the victory way up there just yet. You see, I, I don't see Joshua pulling out all the, the, the maps and, and the strategy and the whiteboards, and I don't see Joshua saying, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys, and, and maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but, but in the scriptures, I, I don't see God saying, Joshua, here's this people here, and here's this people here, and this people here, here's your calendar, here's your timeline, this is when the Jordan River is flooded, this is when it subsided, Joshua, I'm going to put everything right in front of you here so that you can be certain and assured that there is victory that you will win this thing. He doesn't say that. He doesn't give him a big battle plan just yet. He looks at Joshua and he says, here's the word of God. Here's what God says about himself. You walk in it. You follow it. You, you, you stay close to it because in it, the word of God, you will find how to walk wisely. That's what the word success means. It doesn't mean prosperity. It doesn't mean finances are okay. It doesn't mean great health. It doesn't mean any of that in the scriptures. Here's what that word success means. To finish the task well. Joshua, respond. Here's the key word. Respond. Respond to this word. Do you see why your pastor is so passionate about you knowing and teaching the word and following the word and finding yourself in relationships around the word? You know why? You know what's at stake? You walking wisely to finish what God has given you. To walk wisely in your marriage, to walk wisely in your employment, in your career, in your relationships. Joshua, you will finish well if you walk behind the word well. Walk wisely. Here's the last thing this morning, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Third thought this morning is this, that God is with you wherever your challenge takes you. Do you believe that? 
God is with you wherever your challenge takes you. Verse 5, God says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And at the very end, he says, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Wherever your challenge goes, Joshua, hey, when you come up to the Jordan River, guess what? I'm there. When, when, you, when you cross over and you see the big wall of Jericho, guess what? I'm there. When you, when, you hear, when you hear all the people of the land are stirred up and want to fight, Joshua, I'm there. When you lose people in the war, I'm there, Joshua. Wherever you go, I'm there. Do you believe that? Wherever this challenge takes you, he's there. Be strong and courageous because God is there. And here's the beautiful thing about the Old Testament, the Old Testament, we in fact see God moving in his presence in the lives of the people. God's presence is there. He repeats it to the prophets. He repeats it to the patriarchs. He repeats it to the people of the Old Covenant. But, but as we come through the Old Testament, we come to Jesus. And Jesus is the same name for Joshua in the Old Testament. One is in Hebrew, one is in Greek. They both mean God will save. And here's the beautiful thing when we are introduced to Jesus as God comes to Joseph in the form of an, or an angel comes. God sends an angel to Joseph and says, listen, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna call his name Jesus. He is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You see, all the way back in the garden, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's heartbreaking because they had this fellowship with God. They had this intimacy with God. And when they sinned, God said, you're out. Go. And ever since that day, God's heart has been beating to be present with his people, and he's been working, working through the old covenant, working through the, the prophets and the, the priests and the sacrificial systems, working through the nation of Israel, through all their kings and all their ups and downs, and he's been working, and finally, he sends his son, and it's Emmanuel, God with us, he's here. And that separation that occurred because of sin in the garden is now made reconciliation because of Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Now you can know him intimately. And Jesus has come to be with you who are separated from him. And some of you this morning do not know him. You don't know him personally. You might know about church, you might know about, about Jesus, but I, I plead with you this morning that Christ loves you and died for you. And you're separated apart from him and he wants you to know him. We invite you to come this morning. Here's the last thing. When Jesus came, God with us, when he came to this earth, one of the reasons he came was to identify with you. And here's what I want you to think as we close this morning. Here's what I want you to think. Every time you have this fear, every time that fear begins to either paralyze you and cripple you, or that fear begins to make you think and do things that you normally wouldn't do, whatever it is, 
Every time that fear wells up inside of you, and you can't function, you can't move, you can't take that next step. We're going to talk about that next week. What does it mean to take that next step? You can't do it. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to rest in, okay? Keyword rest. Here's what I want you to rest in. Jesus, God with us, who knelt down in the garden. The garden of Gethsemane, the cross is right around the corner. It's literally across the brook, up the hill and over. And he's kneeling down and he says, Father, if it's possible, can you take this away? The, the scripture doesn't say it. But I'm just wondering, is he, is he afraid? I mean, how can you not be as a human being afraid to go to a cross, to be crucified, to suffer, to be separated from the one who loves him most? And here's what I want you to know, all right? Here's what I want you to know. Every time you fear, I want you to think of Jesus afraid. But yet, but yet, taking the blows and taking the suffering and going to the cross so that he might know your fear and rescue you from your fear. Oh, that's good. May the gospel signify that God is with you today. As you step out of here and as you go to work this week and as you go to school this week and you're afraid, I want you to know God is with you. In the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, Emmanuel is here, God with you. Very last words from Jesus himself. When he tells his disciples, you need to go into the world and make disciples of all peoples, he says this, and lo, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of what? The world. He is with you. Go with him, with the spirit of God that resides in you, with the spirit of God. Will you walk with him and walk with us in this journey of Joshua as we begin to take those first steps together? Let's pray right now. Father, we love you. And the new Joshua, the new savior, the new leader of people has come to us. And Father, more than anything, my prayer is this, that people will treasure the presence of the spirit of God through what you've done through Jesus, your son. So Lord, send your spirit to bring peace and calm. Send your spirit to bring strength and endurance to your people today. And as we walk through this book and begin to see how step after step you are faithful, may someone here today look at Joshua, look at this general and all that he faced and say, God, you are faithful. You are with me. Oh Lord, transform people in both rooms and hear our prayer this morning. And will you save some? Lord, would you save that heart that knows their separation? They know it. They know because of their sin that they are apart from this relationship with you. 
May they step forward in either room as we share a song of commitment. May they step forward and respond to you. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encountering us this morning. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.